Amen. And go ahead and be opening up your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we are going back to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we covered the first 10 chapters uh, uh, last year into the first of this year around Easter. Uh, we moved out of that. There's really two sections in the Gospel of Mark. There's 1 through 10 and then there's 11 through 16. And so we had just finished up that section and I felt like the Lord wanted us to, to talk some about what it means to be the church and kind of renew our focus there. And now we're getting back into the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 1. And and what we're doing here, that that, that song is just... That's what we want to, to happen. We want, as we look afresh and anew at Jesus and what he did for us and, and who he was, uh, I pray that uh, he will amaze us afresh and anew, that, uh, that we'll realize how much he loves us and the great God uh, that he is. Because this chapter 11, uh, through the end of, of the Gospel of Mark, this is that last week of, of Jesus' Life. Now, there is resurrection and there is uh, the resurrection appearances uh, after that, uh, but this is his last week of, of, of that type of personal ministry. This is when he goes to Jerusalem and the things that, that happen there. And so that's where we're going to pick up here in, uh, in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage, that is Jesus and all his disciples. He had been ministering, he had been healing, he had been teaching, uh, doing a lot of different things there. He was on his way to Jerusalem and, and, and chapter 10 and we heard some of his teaching and some of the miracles that he performed on his way there. And so now they're getting near. They're near Jerusalem, uh, Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples. In other words, he's sending them on to Jerusalem and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. And so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street. And they loosed it. And some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So here we are. And he is coming into Jerusalem. And you may not have noticed it, but all of a sudden, this last week, things are beginning to change. It's been a while since we've been in the gospel. But let me just remind you, in Jesus' ministry, even in, 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 in getting fairly close to this day when he would go into Jerusalem, whenever he did something and people began to acknowledge him for who he was, what did he tell them? He'd tell them to, shh, 
don't tell anybody. Be quiet. My time has not yet come. Matter of fact, when he healed the, the, the blind man, just a, a few chapters uh, preceding this chapter, that's exactly what he told him. He said, don't tell them uh, who I am. Be quiet about that. When Peter confessed that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he said, you're right. And, and he, he said that uh, uh, upon this rock he will build his church, and the gates of hell will, shall not prevail. But then he told them not to tell anybody. And then when he went into the, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and God uh, appeared there and, and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And, and, and Moses and Elijah were there as well when the disciples, uh, when they came down off the mountain, he told them, don't tell anybody. But here he is coming into Jerusalem and, and things are, are, are changing here. He, he's not saying don't tell anybody. They're saying exactly who he is. They're they're. Uh, people are gathering around, and he's not sending them away. Why, why have things changed? Let me tell you why. Because now it is time. It's time. It's time for this. It's time. Before, he, he had work to do. There was teaching that needed to take place. It wasn't time for him to die. If they had gone around uh, proclaiming all of those things, and they did to a, a degree, uh, but then the religious leaders would have come immediately and arrested him and taken him away, and it wasn't time yet. There were things that needed to be done. There's teaching that needed to take place. There were healings that needed to take place. But now it is time. This is, the, this is Sunday, the first day of the week when he is, is going into Jerusalem there and by the end of this week he will be arrested he will be nailed to a cross and he will die it's time it's time and then by the next Sunday he will be raised from the dead these, these last few chapters these last uh, six chapters that are here chapters 11 through 16 deal with this last week of Jesus' life. It is the focus of the Gospel of Mark. A lot he's talked about a lot. You know, Jesus did ministry for three years, but he spends over a third of, 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 of his book dealing with this last week. Why? Because it was the most important thing that Jesus did. It always has been the most important thing that Jesus did. There are a lot of things now Jesus can heal and there are a lot of things that Jesus can do and that Jesus does. Jesus ministers to us. Jesus brings us comfort. Jesus heals. Jesus strengthens. There's a lot of things that Jesus does but the most important thing that Jesus has ever done or ever will do is to die on the cross for our sins and be raised from the dead on the third day. That's why we worship. That's why we have an opportunity to worship. That's why we pray. That's why we can pray. That's why we serve. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we give. That's why we live our lives is because of what Jesus did for us. That's why we've got to tell others about what Jesus has done. This is not just the, should it not only be the, the focus of our church and everything that we do here and the focus of our lives and everything it is the focus of all history and all creation who Jesus is finally the king has arrived the king is here but understand this he's a different king he is a very very different king even Different than, than maybe we realize. Even different than, 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 than maybe 
the type of king that, that our, our flesh would like him to be. He is a different king. There's some truths in this passage I, j- I just want to bring out to us about the type of king that Jesus is. First of all, he is a, a king who is sovereign. He's a king who is sovereign. Look, at, look in verse 2 here as he's, he's approaching Jerusalem. And, and notice what, what Jesus says here, okay? He's going there and he says, Go into the village opposite you. So he gives them a direct village, a specific village to go into. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. He knows. <laughs> He, he, he hasn't been in that village scouting it out or anything like that. He just knows. He's, a, he's the sovereign king, and he, and he knows. He says, loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? And that's exactly what they did. How did that? Jesus knows. Jesus, our king knows. He says, say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. How did he know that? That's the type of king he is. He, our king knows everything. Our king is sovereign. He knows the what. He knows, here in these verses I just read that, he knows every detail, where the cult is, what village, when they get there, where it will be, what will happen when they get there, what type of cult it will be. He knows everything. And not only does he know everything in this situation, he knows everything in our situation as well. He knows every detail. Let's just quit pretending in front of Jesus, okay? Let's just get real and honest with him. He knows the what. He knows everything that is happening in our lives. He knows everything that has happened in our lives. He knows everything that's going to happen in our lives. He not only knows the what, but he knows the where. He knows everywhere. You cannot hide anything from him. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows where you are. He knows what is going on. He knows where you are in in your life and, and what is going on around you. Jesus knows the what, Jesus knows the where, and Jesus knows the how. Everything happened just like he said. He knows how everything is going to happen. He is in charge of everything. And by the way, he knows the pain that you're going through as well. I was talking with someone this week who is uh, dealing with some health issues. And part of the the health issues that they're dealing with is uh, severe pain. Uh, and, And I was just... You know, trying to encourage them. And I, and I want you to know, you understand this. Pain is not evil. Sin is evil. Wickedness is evil. Pride is evil. Pain's not evil. Pain is pain. Pain hurts. We don't like pain. But pain is not evil. Matter of fact, God often uses pain as a tool to accomplish His will, His glory in our lives. Jesus went through pain. Paul went through pain. Jesus and Paul both said, in your Christian life, you will deal with pain, okay? So, so, Jesus knows about our pain. Why isn't Jesus taking away our pain? Because the pain is not evil. 
pain has a purpose, and there's a, a whole sermon, a mini series of sermons I could, I could preach along that lines, but I just want you to know that our king is sovereign. He knows what is going on, and he has a purpose in the midst of everything that is going on. You know, with, uh, with kings like uh, in England now, which they've got a queen instead of a, a, a king now, that's just a figurehead. Is is someone that they have the big weddings and and funerals and and things like that. But it's 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 the parliament and the prime minister that make the decisions for England. It's not the queen and it, it's not a king. They're just a figurehead. Our king is no figurehead. Our king is in control. Hallelujah! He's in he's in control and and he is completely sovereign. He is the king who is sovereign. And just as he explained this situation, he knows your situation as well. Not only that, but he's also the king who is to be obeyed. He's the king who is to be obeyed. As he explains that situation, notice what takes place in verse 4. It says, so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, just like Jesus said. And then they loosed it, just like Jesus said. And some of those who stood there said to them, what do you do in loosing the colt? just like Jesus said they would. And then he says, and they spoke to him just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. Do you see the obedience that's taking place? One is very obvious. The disciples obey their master. They obey their king. They went just like he told them to, to go. They said what he told them to say. They're what, notice it says there, it says, so they, verse 4, it says, so these two disciples, they went their way. But they were really going his way. As disciples that obey our master, our way must be his way. It's, that's, that's it. It's not our way is our way. It's not that his way must become our way. No, our way becomes his way. Whatever he says in his word, whatever he leads us to, that's what we must do. As the, that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple follows and so we need to, to follow him in everything. Whatever Jesus is leading you to do, when Jesus tells you to forgive, we need to forgive. When Jesus tells us to go, we need to go. When Jesus tells us to pray, we need to pray. When Jesus tells us to serve, we need to serve. And we need to lay our lives before him and say, Lord, whatever you want us to do, that's what we'll do. When we had the ordination service last Sunday, that's what I was telling Brett and Eric as I was praying for them. I said, I'm thankful for where God's put them and he teaches in, in a, in a uh, in Sheffield, and she works at UNA, and those are mission fields unto themselves and stuff as they're there and ministering there. But I say, I want you to put your lives on the altar and say, God, we're, we'll do where you've put us. We're going to serve you every day that we have. But wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to do, we'll do that. That's what it means to be a disciple. Disciples obey their king. Not only that, but let me tell you something about our king, our different king. Even strangers obey him. You understand that? Our king really is sovereign and really is in control. There in, in verse 5, it said that these, they asked him, said, what are you doing loosing the cold? And they spoke to them as, just as Jesus commanded. What does it say in verse 6? It says, so they let them go. Maybe they, they had heard the name of Jesus before. Maybe they had an idea. Or maybe they just did it. But either way, our king is in control. Everyone are, is subjects to the king. You understand that. 
God does not wring his hands over what's going on in the world around. God does not wring his hand over which political party's in control. God does not wring his hands over what's going on in, in communist China. God is in control. Our king is in control. So what does that mean? Quit worrying about what's going on in the world. Serve your king. We, we spend so much time reading news stories, and, and, and sometimes I wish that, that social media would just go away. <laughs> it's a, cause, and it's not the, the, the good things that we do in communicating. I'm thankful that folks are watching us online this morning. I, you know, we're thankful for that. It's a, but I'm, I'm talking about just the fact that we get so much news and we begin worrying. You know, and, and all the, the, what, what is it that gets the most clicks? It's the bad news. How things are terrible here and terrible there and, and, and terrible things are coming and all this kind of stuff. No. We, we serve a, the king who's in control. So quit worrying about everything that's going on in the world around us. Let's just serve him. Our king is the one who is to be obeyed. And by the way, not only the disciples and strangers obey our king, even donkeys obey our king. It mentioned back in verse 2 that the cult that they would find is one that nobody has sat upon. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't read this verse just a minute ago. But it says in verse 7 that when they brought the colt to him and they threw their clothes on it, that Jesus sat on it. And the donkey didn't buck and the donkey didn't bray, the colt that was there. The donkey did submitted to its king and did exactly what the king wanted to do because the donkey knew who the king was. Sometimes I think donkeys are smarter than Christians. <laughs> Sometimes we forget who our king is. We lose sight of that. Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah was talking about Israel, but he could have been talking about the church here over in Isaiah chapter 1. and verse 1 it says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. And my people do not consider or do not submit. An ox does what the master says. A donkey does what the master says. But oftentimes God's children don't. Who is it that you're surrendered to? Who is it that you obey? Do you only obey God when you agree with what God says? Then God is not your king. You're your king. You're on the throne of your life. Our king, understand... <laughs> get a fresh vision of who he is. Our king is the one who is to be obeyed. Obeyed. I'll give you a reason why here in just a moment. There are many reasons why, but I'll give you the main reason why. He's not only a king who is sovereign, a king who is to be obeyed, but he's the king who is promised. That's a good reason to obey him, but it's not the greatest reason. He is the one who is promised. Verse 7 says, they, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that, that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And if, you're, if your Bible's like mine, it has the, those uh, in parentheses there and, and indented some, which means they're quoting from the Old Testament there. But that's not the only quote from the Old Testament. Let me back up just a moment and understand, and help you to understand that, that not only was this, this promise there, but even the, the cult was saying, he is here. 
That, that donkey that was there, that, 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 the, the cult of a donkey, was saying that he is here. Say, so what do you mean by that? I mean, in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, <coughs> this is what it says about the Messiah, the one who is to come. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. That's good news right there. He says, He is just and having salvation. Listen to this. Lowly and riding on a donkey. The colt, a, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, when Jesus got on this colt and came running, that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah 9 9, saying, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah. And that donkey was submitting to him, saying, This is him. He is here. He was the king. He was a different king. It talks about the king coming alone. It means that, that he didn't need any, other, any others with him. He was enough by himself. Everything that he was going to do was going to be enough. He didn't need an army. Jesus alone was enough. He came to bring salvation and it was a different kind of salvation. It was real salvation that really would take care of our sins and he would come as the lowly one, not as the one coming to, to conquer as much as the one coming to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That cult submitted to the king and the whole time Jesus came right in, in him. That conky one, that donkey, conky? <laughs> that donkey wasn't saying a word, but this is what he was saying. He was saying, get my name right. He was saying, he is here. He is here. Not only that, but the people seeing him coming in riding on, on this donkey, they were saying it as well in verse 9 when they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were proclaiming him as the Messiah that was to come. They were repeating a promise of the Old Testament in Psalm number 118 and verse uh, 26 there where it says this. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They're Repeating that psalm, Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm as it talks about, back up in verse 22, about the stone which the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone. We know that's talking about Jesus. Verse 26 is talking about Jesus as well. And so here they are saying, this is the one. And he is the one who brings us salvation. And not only were the people saying that, but King David himself, even though he was dead, his words were saying, this is him. They said there in verse 10, blessed is the kingdom of our father David. What were they referring to? They're saying this is the one that fulfilled David's promise, David's prophecy. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 12, it says, said this, the Lord told David this. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. It's talking about Jesus. Do you understand this? You talk about amazing. That's a thousand years before Jesus came. A thousand years God was at work 6,000, 7,000 years providing our salvation. From the very beginning of creation until this day here, this promise has been there. This promise has been fulfilled even uh, from the very beginning. 
Salvation was planned for you and for me. He's the king who is promised. By the way, the cult said he is here. The people said he is here. David said he is here. What does your life say? Everywhere we go and everything we do, we ought to be saying that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. At work, at school, in our family, in our neighbor, everything we do should say Jesus is king. He's the king. Not only is the king who is sovereign and obeyed and to be obeyed and promised, but he's also the king who is to be worshipped. The king who is to be worshipped. We read these verses. Let me just point them out to you again in verse 8. It says, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so here comes Jesus on them. What, what is this saying? This is saying worship him. They were laying everything down. They were laying down their coats in surrender before him. They were laying down palm branches in surrender before him, saying he is the king. What will you lay down before him? We ought to lay down everything before him as the king. That's what worship is. Worship is not saying words to a song. Worship is not even singing words to a song. Worship is the surrender of our heart that can be expressed through words in a song and can be expressed many other ways as well. Primarily our obedience before Him, our bowing the knee before Him. That is how we worship Him. We lay down everything before Him. And by the way, if we're singing words to our song, but our hearts are not laid down before Him, our lives are not laid down before Him, we're not worshiping. We worship Him. Worship Him. And another beautiful picture here, as I was, I was studying this this week, I, I, I hadn't seen it this way before, but why did they do, why did they lay, it was symbolic of their surrender before Him, but why, you know, some put their cloaks down before Him, and for some that wasn't enough, they got palm branches and they laid them down before What were they saying here? They were recognizing what kind of king He was. They did not want even the colt to kick up dust that would get Him dirty, because He's not only a sovereign king and, a, and, a, and, and the perfect king, He is the holy king. And so when we come before our king, laying down our lives means that we don't hold on, on to anything that dishonors him, anything that disrespects him, anything that offends him. We lay it all down. Worship him. Praise him. Verse 9 says, Those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were, they were saying it out loud. They were crying out to him, praising him, lifting his name up. What were they saying? The word Hosanna means, Lord, save us. We need you. You are the Savior. You're the one that's been provided. You are the King, and we need you. You alone are the one who can help us. That's, that's, that's what praise is, that we're acknowledging Him for who He is and praising Him for what He can do and what He has done for us. We worship Him. We praise Him. And then this is, this is what true worship is. Worship is not only worshiping Him and praising Him, but it is blessing Him. Oftentimes we have this approach about worship, that worship is about blessing us, that singing is about blessing us. And I don't know about you, but I am blessed 
when we all come together and worship the Lord. And I am blessed by, by many of the songs of the faith that have been written over the years have blessed my heart in a tremendous way. But worship is not primarily about me getting blessed. It's about me blessing Him. And, and, and listen, churches, old and young alike, if, if we could get a hold of this, it would transform our worship. Because there are new songs that bless Him and there are old songs that bless Him. And it shouldn't be about our specific style or what we want. It's not about me being blessed. It's about us together blessing Him. If it's a song that I haven't heard before because it was just written this the last few months or something like that, I see the words up on the screen. I say, that is truth. And, I, and even if I don't know the tune to it, I can still say it to the Lord and bless Him and let Him know how much I love Him and adore him and how thankful I am whether I know the song or not if I'm a younger person and I hadn't heard some of the old songs before when they come up with the old song I hadn't ever heard before and I don't know the tune of it I can still say those words to God I can learn the tune to it and I can bless him and I can praise him and I can thank him because it's not about us it's about him it's about him he is the king who is to be worshipped worshipped and then here's the good news. This is why he is worshipped. This is why he is to be obeyed. It's because he is the king who is compassionate. Most kings have ruled with an iron thumb. And they control the ones that they are over. And some kings even command those that serve them to give their lives for the king. Our king is different. Our king is worthy of us giving our lives for him. But understand this, our king gave his life for us. Verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knew there was a cult that had never been ridden upon at, at this village there that would be brought to him and the people. If he knew that, he knew what was coming. Matter of fact, he's been telling them it's coming. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be put on the, on, on the cross. I'm going to die, and then I will be raised from the dead. He knew what was coming. But notice, look at this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, he knew all of that, but he's still moving in there. He's still moving toward the cross. He knew the pain that would come, but he's still going to the cross. He's still coming to Jerusalem. He knew that he would be separated from the Father. He knew that it would be uh, an extreme agony. He knew that in that garden there would be sweat drops of blood that would come down upon him. He knew the people would abandon him. He knew the same ones that were saying Hosanna would be some of the same ones that were yelling, would be yelling crucify him before the week is over but it did not stop him he drew near he drew near he drew near he is moving to the cross for us and for for you and for me he drew near to Jerusalem he drew near to the cross he drew near to the suffering he drew near to death so that God himself could draw near to us he was not coming seeking hosannas and men's applause he was seeking a cross that's powerful. That's amazing. He had focused compassion. 
focused compassion. Not only that, but he had a fatherly compassion. Look at the last verse of the verses I read, verse 11. It said, And Jesus went into Jerusalem. When he got into Jerusalem, he went into the temple. What's the temple? It's his father's house. It's his father's house. He had to go to the father. And he went to the father's house. Jesus, being the son of God, had a heart full of love. But he also saw the father's heart of love. And all that the Father had provided and all that the Father had done pointing to this time that he might have a kingdom unto himself, that he might have a family coming to him. He was coming to the Father's house. He was reminded of the Father's will. He was reminded of the Father's love for us, for mankind, that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. He had a focused compassion. He had a fatherly compassion, and he had a sacrificial compassion. Where is it that he went to? He went to the Father's house, but the Father's house was the temple. And as he's coming into the temple, there is this altar of sacrifice where, where sacrifices were going to be made, where that very week the Passover lambs were going to be sacrificed there for the, for the sins of, of the nation. And he knew that although he wasn't going to be sacrificed there, he was going to be sacrificed. He was going to be the gift. His blood was going to be shed for the remission of our sins. He was going to be the Passover lamb. And there in the temple, that veil that had separated separated mankind and God through his sacrifice on the cross the veil would be rent and access would be granted and he was willing to do it all for us nobody loves us like our king he's a king who is compassionate every king on the face of the earth commands their subjects to die for them but our king is different he's different do you know this king do you know this king not only is our king different, but coming to this king is different. You see, understand, listen to me, okay? We're wrapping this up. We're not born into this kingdom. We're born again into this kingdom. We don't get into this kingdom by conquering the kingdom. We get into this kingdom by being conquered by the king. We don't get into this kingdom through effort, through earning our way in, we get into this kingdom as a gift, as an invitation. And if you're here today and you do not know this Jesus, he's offering that invitation to you to come and be a part of his kingdom. It is a different kingdom. The king has come has come. And by the way, this king is coming again. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that he will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.